For you who are with us for the first time, we're glad to have you with us. And for you on live stream, just on you, you on live stream, this is a communion Sunday. Certainly you're welcome to participate with us as a believer at the family meal. Um, you can get your elements and join us. The uh, communion will be at the end of our uh, sermon this morning, so we encourage you guys to do that. And if you're new with us, we are in the middle of our series uh, during Advent, which is The Wonders of His Love, Finding Jesus in Isaiah. If you don't have a sermon outline to write out on the back table, I encourage you to get one. So one of the wonderful uh, joys of the Advent season for me is looking at this fulfillment of the Messianic promises, and I'm going to be talking about that in a few minutes. But let's just set up the context of where we're at. Uh, We've been looking at Isaiah and finding Jesus in these prophecies, Um, just that uh, everybody is aware that these prophecies were written in 700 B.C., um, and they were written uh, to a people that were being threatened uh, both by the outside, uh, at that point it was Assyria, that they would be captive and brought into exile, but also God, through his prophets, in particular Isaiah, as we're looking through that, is warning the people that um, their continuing rebellion against God, their continuing moving away from God, their worship, uh, their lifestyle, the things that they're doing, the unrepentant hearts, are moving them to a place where God was going to send them into exile and use one of these nations to do that. This was written in 700 B.C. What we know is that it took about another 100 years. They were actually given a reprieve when Assyria came, but continued to be hard-hearted. So for another 100 years, uh, the people in their hard-heartedness continued to rebel against God, and the warnings came. And then in 587 B.C., at the hands of the Babylonian Empire, Judah was brought into captivity. Um, And I I just have a couple of pictures, because I think sometimes we can hear this, um, but it's just we just hear it. Um, But let's think a little bit about what was going on. What would that have looked like, and what would kind of, uh, what would be the mindset of the people? So I got a first picture up there. This is This is them being attacked. This is the army of Babylon coming into Jerusalem and basically taking people. Literally, uh, there's death, there's destruction, and there's people being taken into captivity. Uh, We sometimes miss that this was what was going on. Um, And then next, you can put the next one up. Not only that, but then they were brought into exile. What does that really mean? Well, it means that thousands upon thousands of people are being led on a miles, hundreds and hundreds of miles long journey to another country, a country that isn't theirs. They've lost their homes. They've lost their businesses. They've lost their traditions. Generations of all that they've done are now being lost. They're completely taken away. And now they're being led to a place they've never been to before, and they're actually going to be enslaved in this place. So sit with that for a second. What would that be like? What would that be like for somebody to come in to our neighborhood and do that? What would be going on in your mind and your heart? So how long was that journey? You can put the map up. So you see where the, the green line is, Judah? 
that's where they were attacked. And Ed had this uh, sort of when his first uh, sermon had pointed out that, yes, they, they walked all the way. This is in that lineup. This is what they did. They walked all those hundreds of miles to Babylon. Now think about what you were, th- you would have been thinking as you were walking with your family or what was left of your family to going into captivity hundreds of miles. This is sort of the mindset of the people that Isaiah is speaking to. And it's interesting that in the passage we're going to be looking at today, which is Isaiah 40, you can take that down, is Isaiah 40, it's it's sort of the turn in the book. Up until that time, uh, up to verse 39, there was this, this speaking and warning to people right there and then. But now it's as if Isaiah has been taken up into heaven like John is in Revelation, and literally he's now being shown the future. And he's now speaking in Isaiah 40 out of when the people were going to be leaving the exile. Okay? So that was going to be, if you look at 587 B.C., add 70 years to that, it was going to be then. It was going to be like in 517 or something like that, that now the people were going to be taken out of exile after 70 years. And he's speaking in that context because God has given him a vision a vision in which he wants to speak to his people that now that they have experienced exile and they're coming out, what would it be like to come out of exile going back to a place that no longer was going to be where your family was, no longer did you have homes there, you have no idea what you were walking back to. And what kind of word would you need from God to encourage you? Well, brothers and sisters, what kind of word do you need from God this morning? How are we doing in the circumstances of our life? And that's that's where we're going this morning. But before we do that, I I guess I just, I love Advent because it forces me to go back to prophecy and fulfillment. And, And to me, prophecy and fulfillment is one of the most amazing gifts that God has given us. Think about this for a second. So put that up uh, just very quickly out of Isaiah. Okay, so Isaiah 7.14, we all know that's the virgin without child, the son who is going to be born. This is 700 B.C. And in Luke 1.26-35, what was read today, the idea that the angel spoke to Mary and said, you're going to have a child as a virgin who is going to be called Emmanuel. It was fulfilled. 700 years, okay? Isaiah 9-2. This is the, what Ed preached on, the idea that a light was coming into the darkness, that the world has grown very dark. A light is coming into darkness. And then John 8-12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, fulfilled in Jesus. Very powerful. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of years later. Two, two prophecies, radically different, include diff- different people, Okay, Isaiah 11, 1 to 2, Rick preached on this, the idea of being the fruitful branch, being grafted in, this whole idea. And then in John 15, 1 through 5, what does Jesus say? He says, I am the vine, you are the branches, remain in me and you will be fruitful. <laughs> the fulfillment of this prophecy. And then, of course, Isaiah 40, 11, which we're going to be looking at today, where there's this promise that as you're leaving exile, a shepherd is going to be tending to you. Uh, a shepherd who will love you, 
And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And of course, in John 10, it's fulfilled when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And, and just thinking about this, um, just I wanted to put up that quote because I think this is sometimes we miss this. There are over 300 references to the Messiah in the Old Testament that were fulfilled by Jesus of Nazareth. 48 of the key prophecies were selected, and the probability of one person fulfilling all 48 was calculated to be one chance out of 13 children, which is considered impossible, okay? So, several such probability calculations have been performed by different individuals, and they all conclude that it is mathematically impossible that one person could fulfill all of these prophecies by chance. The mathematics point to the fact that someone had to guide history over the last 4,000 years. God is revealed in the Bible is the only logical choice. And I'm going to say that again. The only logical choice, okay? How many of you have seen the movie Don't Look Up? Anybody seen that movie? Okay, it was put out in 2021. It's sort of a parody of American apathy, but here's what's amazing about it. There is literally a comet that's coming, and it's, it's so big that it's going to destroy the Earth. They have six months' advance warning for this. But then the politicians begin to spin it for their purposes. The capitalists begin to spin it for their purposes. And all of a sudden, there's a campaign going on. Now, here are these scientists and people going, wait, it's coming. Don't you understand? It's coming. And here's the word, don't look up. That's what they're encouraging the people to do. Don't look up. It's not really happening. Don't look up. Until they can't avoid looking up. Because they're looking at it and it's coming down. They only got a few days left. And I think sometimes that's the way we are. These promises are so powerful. Look up and see who else could do something like this. Only a God who was sovereign, who was the creator, who had history in his hands, who could actually make all that work out to the very tiniest detail. How many of you can make a promise about 50 years from now and believe it's going to come true? How about 10 years from now? about five minutes from now. This is what's powerful. It's so powerful. This is who our God is. So during Advent, we're being encouraged to look up. Look up and see. There is only one logical explanation and that there is a God who fulfills his promises who calls to us and loves us. And that's, again, what we're going to see today. And we're going to start with uh, the prophecy that comes from Isaiah 49 through 11. Let me just read these verses. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God, behold the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and he recompenses before him. And this is, if you're coming out of exile, here he's speaking to you. Here's good news, I'm with you. I haven't left you, I am the God of creation, I am the God of the universe, I am the God of promise, and I haven't left you, I still love you, I still call you mine. 
And as you go back, know this. And then he, I love the next words, right? Listen to verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Wow. See, the focus of today's sermon is this promise of a shepherd, a good shepherd. And it's, it's interesting, right? When you're, when you're reading the Word of God, God loves to identify himself with a shepherd. Many of our greatest men of the Bible were shepherds. When you think about that, you think about Abel, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David. Can you put that picture up just so people get an idea? That's what a shepherd looked like, okay, for you who may not have an idea, because we don't live where they tend sheep. But this was a shepherd, very simple. But look, look at the lamb close to his heart. This is just a, a wonderful picture, right? Um, so, the, so the idea of shepherding and the specific idea of God as a shepherd of his people is found throughout the Bible from beginning to end. In Genesis 48, 15, as Jacob is on his deathbed, he summarized his life and then he declared that God had been his shepherd all of his life to this day, the day that he was going to go with the Lord. In Revelation, all the way all through the other end of the Bible, Revelation 7, 17, when the saints who come out of the tribulation are brought before God, John brings together two of the most striking images of Scripture by stating, for the Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd and shall guide them to springs of the water of life, and God shall wipe every tear from their eye. How wonderful is that? Genesis to Revelation, the shepherd. Very powerful. And why is it powerful? Here's why. And we're not going to like this. Because we are like sheep. Right? What are sheep? Sheep are not only dependent creatures, they're singularly unintelligent, prone to wandering and unable to find their way to a shepherd even when the shepherd is in sight. Isn't that a good analogy? It's fitting, isn't it? It's clear because of our helplessness and our tendency to wander and get lost, we are in need of a good shepherd. If anybody reads David Zoll, that's sort of what low anthropology is about, right? That whole idea. But this, this is what's going on, and I love what Spurgeon says, and let this move us into looking at the fulfillment. To carry is kindness, but to carry in the bosom is loving kindness. The shoulders for power and the back for force, but the bosom is the seat of love. So as he's speaking about, he carries them in his bosom. This is God speaking to people and saying, this is the language of love. I carry you in my heart, and I am your tender shepherd. Even as you come out of captivity, even when you've been so hard-hearted and rebellious, even when you've brought destruction to your life. And so now we're going to fast forward 700 years. And we're going to read Jesus speaking about being the fulfillment of this prophecy, the good shepherd. So we're going to read John 10, verses 7 through 18. Let me read it. So Jesus again said to them, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Powerful words. And Jesus is, if you remember John at all, John 9 is the healing of the blind man, and the Pharisees are basically trying to come down on the blind man. They cast him out of the synagogue because he's talking about Jesus healing them, and they're coming against Jesus. Um, and it's in this context, uh, this, this idea now of the good shepherd, and, and Jesus, again, talking about the leaders and the priests and the Pharisees, the one called by God to be the shepherds of Israel, have failed again and again to be good shepherds. And it's out of this context that he now begins to speak about the good shepherd. And what we're going to look at now is we're going to look at some of the characteristics of this good shepherd. It's, it's good for us to know our good shepherd and to understand the characteristics of the shepherd who loves us so much. And that's what we're going to be looking at. Let's let it encourage our hearts today. I don't know where you're captive today. I don't. But I know we're all captive in some way. We're all struggling with sin. We're all struggling with disappointment. We're all struggling with the way the world is. We, we can go through a list of so many things that we are in struggle with. But the good shepherd comes to speak to that. And he wants to speak to you today. And as we hear his characteristics and hear who he really is, let it encourage our hearts. Let's look up today as we look at these characteristics. And the first one is, is that the good shepherd is sacrificial. He lays down his life. Well, you know, he, he is willing to ignore his own needs in order to meet the needs of the sheep. The only way in and out of the fold, interestingly enough, was through a space that would be left open. The shepherd himself would actually lie across the opening, becoming the door in and out of the sheepfold. The shepherd's own comfort and sheep and even his sleep were secondary. I have a picture. I think this really 
gives you an idea. If you could put that up. So there is these pens that they would make up. Uh, sometimes uh, they would be scattered around, and when the, she- the shepherds were going, they were going to settle in for afternoon or in the evening. They would bring them into this because that would protect the sheep. But look who is at the door. The shepherd lies across the door. He is the way in and out, and he is the one who protects the sheep. And that's the picture that Jesus has here for us. And he's basically saying, in words that he will say later on, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the only path. I am the in and out. I am the door, and I am the good shepherd who gives his life for his own sheep. And he says this in in this actual passage four different times. How important is that? Four different times he speaks it. And when I thought about this, and I was thinking about so many other things that I've heard about the shepherd laying down his life for the sheep and Jesus being the good shepherd, my mind immediately went to Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I mean, how powerful is that? Our good shepherd lays down his life. The only one who was not guilty of sin suffered the wages of sin in our place that we might know reconciliation with God, that we might know the adoption of sons and daughters, that we might know we have an inheritance. These are some powerful things that our shepherd has done for us. So he's opened the door. He's opened the door. And by God's grace, we have stepped in. Amen? That's the first characteristic. This is who he is. Because remember, he doesn't leave it that way, right? He's not the shepherd who says, okay, now I've died and I'll see you later. Because what happens to sheep if the shepherd's not there? The wolves attack and they get scattered. But no, he picks his life up again. He is resurrected and now he's the good shepherd for all eternity. This is very powerful. But we move on. This good shepherd not only is sacrificial, he is relational. He knows our name. I love this. He knows our name. The other characteristics of the good shepherd, Jesus makes crystal clear in his discussion, is that the the shepherd is personally, almost intimately involved with all his sheep. He calls them by name. So involved with the flock that they know his voice. And and here's the thing, you know, what does that really mean? Well, in these days, there were multiple 
places where the sheep would go. And at night, they would share these, in, these sort of big enclaves that they would make, uh, sort of that they would go into, and there was protection there. But then in the morning, the sheep have now all gathered together. In the morning, how do they get these sheep separated? And the amazing thing is, all the shepherd had to do was speak, and his sheep knew his name, and they came to him. All they needed was the tone of the voice of that shepherd. And I read this, I read this little uh, illustration, and I thought it was pretty funny, that uh, during World War II, some soldiers came, uh, and they wanted these sheep, and so I don't know what they did to the shepherd, but they robbed his clothes. And uh, they thought that by having his clothes on, the sheep would follow them. And they couldn't get the sheep to follow them. And, of course, the shepherd, whenever he arrived, you know, in his voice, and all the, all the sheep went to him. And I think this is, this is one of these wonderful things about our God. You know, we just don't understand that culture enough, but when we get understanding, how powerful is that? That he knows our name. I, you know, remember him walking. He would, he would call Zacchaeus. He knew his name. He knew Philip. He knew Nathaniel. Like, he knew their names. He knew his disciples personally. He's a God. He's a shepherd who's intimate with us. So powerful. Psalm 139, 1 to 3. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. So the shepherd is sacrificial. He lays down his life. He is relational. He knows our name. We sing that song, right? He knows my name. We've sung it so many, many times. It's a favorite. Children love that song. Why? It tells them that God knows them. He knows our name, this good shepherd. He's also a provider, the good shepherd. He, he brings the abundant life. So he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, and he means, I came that they might be saved and go out and come in and find pasture. This whole idea that we have security, we have a life, we can go in, we can go out. There's protection for us. There's plenty. There's safety. There's actually soul satisfaction for us with this good shepherd. And see, I think when we think about abundant life, living in our commercial society... We think about all this stuff, and, and it's Christmas right now. We're thinking about more stuff, right? Uh, what are we going to get? What are we going to have? What that I don't have? I have all these commercials telling me I need this, and I need that. And why not give them a car with a bow on it? I mean, seriously. I mean, get out. Who does that? <laughs> give me a break. Uh, so, you know, there's, this is going on, guys, and, and we're sort of inundated with this. And, and we begin to believe the lie that this is the abundant life. But the abundant life that the shepherd gives us, it's not about stuff. It's about having peace that surpasses understanding. It's about having joy that transcends the hard things of our life. Rick was sharing that a little bit last week about the brilliant things. See? It's, it's having God. It's having God as our Father, it's having a relationship where He knows my name. See, the abundant life is all about a contented, 
contented life. It's this idea in which our contentment is based upon the fact that God is equal to every one of our emergencies. Think about that. Scripture tells us that he supplies all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I know sometimes we don't feel that way because we have so many other desires, right? But ultimately, bottom line, what we need, we have in Christ. Think about it. Who else has the answer for death? Who? Who else can I go to when everything seems completely out of control and he can turn my heart to a place of peace? And the picture that comes to my mind as I'm thinking about this as I was going through it was, I think of the woman at the well. And when he offers her water and says, the water I give you, you'll never thirst again, right? And you can imagine what she was thinking. But then it says, when the Spirit comes into us, springs of living water will flow. We will always have the ability in all those things, those desires, those wants that we are, that, that our soul and our hearts are striving for, we have a well in us that we can go to again and again and again and be satisfied. That's what he's talking about there. So now we have the good shepherd who lays down his life. He's sacrificial. He's relational. He knows our name. He is provider. He provides the abundant life. He is our protector. The idea of the shepherd protects from wolves and thieves and robbers. And how does he do that? Well, we know that he has his staff and he uses his staff to fight them off uh, as they d- seek to destroy the sheep. But, but more, that idea of those thieves and robbers and wolves is, is, is a picture for us today of how the devil through the world, the flesh, seek to destroy our faith. That's what it's a picture of. How the devil, through the world and the flesh, seeks to destroy our faith. What does 1 Peter 5, 8-9 say? Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Wow. Well, Okay. How do I do that? I'm feeling weighed down. This temptation has control over me. That thing over there, I want badly. Oh, my gosh. You know, Lord, my, my life is so busy, and I wish I just had a quiet I mean, we can go through the list of the things that begin taking us away. Where Satan wants us to not believe that God loves us, that first sin of not trusting that God has our good in mind comes up again and again and again in so many different ways. But listen to what it says in Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus. Now listen to these words. The great shepherd of the sheep will equip you with everything good for doing his will. 
and may he work in us what is pleasing in him through Jesus Christ. The great shepherd, the one who is now gone to the grave and risen again, who is now on the throne, as it says in Revelation 7, 17, this shepherd is able to equip us to stand firm against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And where do we go? Go to Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. What does he give us? He gives us the armor, the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place. Your feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then pray in the spirit. Hallelujah. When you put on the armor, you're putting on Christ. You're putting on the good shepherd. And we have the ability to do that. Have you ever thought about that? I don't know. How about our teenagers? When you guys are facing temptation, do you think about that? I know when you were probably in Sunday school, you got tired of hearing about the armor of God. But now maybe it's a reality for us, right? I need that armor. And the good shepherd gives me that armor. I'm not just picking on teenagers because adults do too. I know I do. So he protects us. And then he's a pursuer. He's a pursuer. Listen to this. What does he say? He says, I have other sheep. He's calling his own sheep. He's creating a new people. Not just the people of Israel, but you and me right now, our salvation was included in those words. He has other sheep that I must bring. That must is a divine necessity. There's something about that that's so powerful. I must bring. That's why I'm going to the cross. That's why I'm dying and rising. That's why I'm going to be ascended into heaven. That's why I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Because there are those sheep that must be brought in. Hallelujah. How can I not be excited by that? You and me are here. We're those must sheep. We're those must sheep. How does he pursue today? How does he continue to pursue today? He says in John 20, 21, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. And then how is his voice heard? Well, Jesus prays in John 17, 20, I do not pray for those only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through their word, through our testimony, through the preaching, through the teaching, through the living out of the gospel and being salt and light. Every one of us here, I don't care how young you are. As a matter of fact, some of you younger ones are more powerful testimonies than some of us older ones who have shrunk back. Sometimes your innocent courage is more powerful than our contemplative wisdom.
This is so powerful. And that's why I love Romans 10, 15. It says, how beautiful are the feet of them who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of them who bring good news. We have a pursuing God. So here's the thing. Out of necessity, out of divine necessity, there are people that God chose before the foundation of the world, that it tells us in Ephesians, who are chosen, who are people who are going to respond to the voice of the shepherd like we did, and they're all over. They're everywhere. And the way the Spirit uses us as we use the Word, the Spirit then regenerates out of that Word and brings those people who are called, those other sheep, into the kingdom that they now hear the voice of the shepherd. Amen? We are a part of that. It's so powerful. I love it. Think about it. I don't know. When you think about yourself, how many of you ever thought about yourself being a Marvel hero? Some superhero. I used to do that all the time. I used to daydream in school and get in trouble because of that. Because we want to be something. We want to have significance. We want to have impact. There is no greater impact being someone that God uses in your testimony or in what you're doing or in your prayers to bring someone else into the kingdom where they will live forever with God in eternity. There's nothing greater than that eternal impact. No greater purpose. And the good shepherd, that's the characteristic that he brings and gives to us. And the last one is comforter. Comforter. But before we do that, I just want to put this picture up. Would you put that picture up, Adriel? That last picture. I love this picture because this sort of gives you that whole idea of who this shepherd is. He's the line of Judah. He's the shepherd. He is the risen Savior and King of Kings. He is the Lamb who was slain. This is the great shepherd that, that is talked about in Hebrews. And so as we move into this last aspect, think about this. He is a comforter. And the words comforter means speaks to the heart. You can take that down, Adriel, thanks. The comforter means speaks to the heart. It's this idea of you being in love and wooing somebody, right? It's this idea that I am speaking in love. The good shepherd is a comforter, and the way he's a comforter right now is through the Holy Spirit. Do we not know, did not Jesus tell us in John 14 through 16 that the comforter was coming, that comforter was the Holy Spirit, who's the Spirit of Christ, who's now living in us? And I think about this, and I am so delighted. Because where does that comfort then come from? From the word. From the word of promise. From the words of assurance and hope and love in the scripture. That we take and we bring to one another. Speaking to the hearts. Heart to heart conversation with one another. We are those who bring comfort I think about this. I think, wow, what are some of the ways in my life this has happened? Well, you know, Romans 8, many of you love that, those passages where it says, nothing will separate us from the love of God. And when my son was really sick, and we're in the hospital room, and we're going through devotionals, and we begin talking out of Romans 8, 
And nothing can separate us from the love of God, not even death. Now, what's it like when you're talking to someone that you love? You have no power to heal. And unless there's a miracle, you know what the ending is going to be. And yet the two of you can be there and hear these words of comfort from the Good Shepherd that nothing, nothing will separate you from the love of God. How powerful is that? How comforting to your soul. 1 Thessalonians tells us that we who have lost do not grieve as those without hope because those that we love are with the Savior. How powerful is that as we seek to live out our lives, as we continue in the loss and the grief? Think about that. Words of comfort that he brings to us. I love Hebrews 4 where he talks about Let us then approach God's throne with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Maybe I'm doubting, I'm struggling. Maybe there's hard circumstances in my life or somebody that I love. But there is someone who, it says, empathizes with us. Why? Because the good shepherd was a human being. The good shepherd struggled. The good shepherd knew poverty. He knew suffering. He knew what? He knew where it was to be rejected. He knew what it was to to say, Lord, in the garden, take this cup from me. But no, your will, not my will. And he says, as you come to him, he will give you grace. These are words of comfort. And I love what it says In John 10, 28 to 30, listen to this because I think it's something we all need to hear. Well, maybe I haven't put them up, but what he speaks in that is I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand My Father has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Brothers and sisters, when we believe, we come to the Lord. How comforting is it? Because if you're like me, you're a sinner. And there's a lot of sins that I continue to go back to. How about you? And I continue to ask for forgiveness. Well, what Satan wants, Satan wants you to not believe that you can be forgiven more than a certain amount of times. Satan wants you to believe there's certain things that you do you can't be forgiven for. And so far, then you sort of lose your your salvation, your faith. That's such a lie. That's not what Jesus says. That's not what the good shepherd did. Literally, we cannot be snatched from the shepherd. Take that in, even as we're approaching the communion table today. Take that in. Take that verse when you're doubting, when your faith is at a low ebb, and know that the Father has given us to the Son who's the Good Shepherd, and we cannot be snatched. Can you say amen to that? Amen to that. Now listen, one thought as we leave. 
Listen to Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, listen, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by. Brothers and sisters, we go out. We are able to comfort others, to speak to their hearts. Right now in this congregation, we have the ability, whether it be in a small group, in a conversation you have in the foyer, a conversation outside, a conversation with your family during the holidays, in your workplace, in your school, we have the ability to speak words of comfort because of what the Good Shepherd has done for us. Are you speaking words of comfort? Because you've experienced the comfort of God. Thank you, Good Shepherd. Thank you for laying down your life. Thank you for knowing my name. Thank you for providing abundant life. Thank you for protecting me from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Thank you. Thank you for loving me and bringing comfort to my heart. Thank you, good shepherd. Thank you. Can you be encouraged this morning by these words, these characteristics in which we now are able to live by, to believe in, to see the fruit of, and to bring to other people. Isn't that the Christmas message? Let's look up. Let's move in that direction. And it's a great place to come to the table, right? I'm, I can ask those from the worship team to come forward. Because this table is really that reflection of the Good Shepherd, is it not? As we come to this table, we're encouraged to look. Okay, we have you good. <laughs> so, I just thinking about the Good Shepherd and thinking about what this table represents. It was a meal that he wanted to share with his disciples, and it was a meal that he says, at some point, we're going to share with him again. But in the meantime, we as the family of God have the ability to look at this meal and see all those characteristics of the Good Shepherd that we just talked about. We can see that he laid down his life we can see that he knows us intimately. We can know that he protects us. We can know that he speaks comfort to us, that he is real and he is the God of promise. He is the Savior and Messiah, that not only did he come when we look back and we see, but we know he's coming again. And then this table in this moment represents the fact that in the present, his spirit is right now with us and speaking to us. And we have the ability in coming to the table right now to have our faith strengthened and to have our souls refreshed 
as we bring our hearts to him and ask for forgiveness for the things that are in our life that are hindering us and as we receive this meal together. So I'm going to give you now a few minutes to be with the Lord. Come to the Good Shepherd. Speak your heart. Bring those things, the rebellion, the sin. Remember, there's not one sin that he cannot forget. Come to the Lord this morning. Take some time. Lord, we're so thankful that we can bring our hearts, that we can know your word tells us as we confess our sins, you are faithful to forgive us because of the blood of Christ. We so thank you today that as we bring our hearts to you, as we experience forgiveness, there's a lifting of the burden, there's a lifting of the guilt, there's a lifting of the shame, and there's a resting in the wonderful work of the Good Shepherd who died for us and rose again and will come back in glory to bring us home. So now as we receive this meal together, continue to work in us. May your peace now fill our hearts. May your joy be evident May we be people of hope. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. On the day of the night before Jesus died, he took bread as I do in his name. We're going to pass the bread out, and when we do, we're then going to receive it together.
sounds to 